arms surrounding me, let it break at your name. Still, call the sea to still, the rage in me to still every way at your name, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus, breathe, call these bones to all these lungs to sing once again I will praise Jesus, Jesus You make the darkness tremble Jesus, Jesus You silence fear Jesus, Jesus You make the darkness tremble The shadows can't deny your name cannot be overcome. Your name is alive, forever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Your name is alive that the shadows. Can't deny your name cannot be overcome. Your name is alive, forever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble.
Father, we do stand today and thank you that we, we do not have to stand alone, that we surely stand on your firm promises and every promise you've made is true and we trust that today. And thank you that as we open your word today and as we look deep into the truth of your word, that we'll find just the promise that you have today that we can claim as a promise from you. In Jesus' name, now we continue to worship. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to 2021. Uh, we're so thrilled that you have chosen uh, to, to be here and worship with Palmetto Shores Church family today as we kick off this new year. Let me ask you a question as we begin this, this year. Uh, do you remember the last time that you received a handwritten letter? I mean, there's just, there's something special uh, about a handwritten letter. 
Uh, I love modern technology. I mean, I, I, I love text messaging and emails and blogs and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I do. I, I love the modern day technology that we have. But nothing replaces the, the love that's transferred in that handwritten letter that somebody that cares about you and loves you sends you. I remember when Gail and I were first married. Uh, a month after we were married, we moved a thousand miles away to Fort Worth, Texas. And for three years, we studied there in Fort Worth. And <clears throat> one of the things I remember and will never forget is that front porch mailbox that we had. Uh, and every day, uh, Gail went to school across town, I went to school right down the street, and whoever got home first, I mean, we would race to the mailbox because we couldn't wait. So I don't think a week went by in the three years that we were out there that they, we didn't receive some kind of vital communication, some kind of vital connection uh, from someone who loved us, who wrote us one of those handwritten letters. There was, there was just that sense of encouragement that propelled us uh, through those three years that we uh, lived out there in Fort Worth. Um, sometimes the news would be good news. Uh, sometimes the news would uh, require a follow-up phone call because we didn't quite understand everything that was involved in the information in that letter. And a few times each semester, uh, we would receive a cashier's check now, some of you probably don't know what that is, but that's real money <laughs> that someone would send us uh, who rarely would write a letter, but there will be three words <clears throat> along with that cashier's check. I love you. And I'm telling you, it was very special. All those letters were very special. And so, um, you know, <clears throat> the New Testament, we have the Gospels, of Christ. And those gospels are God's love letter uh, to you and me. All of those gospels have an opening phrase that kind of indicates the significant impact of the content and the structure of that particular love letter that God sends. They're all different. For example, Matthew begins by placing Jesus in the history line of God's chosen people, Israel. Luke opens up by explaining uh, why he is providing a careful summary of the verbal account of Jesus Christ. John's gospel that we looked at uh, a good bit of late November and December opens up with a theological perspective and emphasizes the fact that Jesus Christ is the unique word of God who became one of us and came to redeem all of creation. Mark, on the other hand, and we're going to be spending through the summer looking at Mark, and so get familiar with it. If you have your Bible, you can open up there today. Mark opens up by diving straight into the critical life-changing message of the good news of Jesus Christ. He moves quickly um, through his gospel at proclaiming who Jesus is, and explains the purpose of why he came to live and to suffer and to die on the cross and then on that third day rise from the grave. 
Again, the human author is proven to be John Mark. Uh, we could spend a lot of time talking about the background of John Mark. Uh, there are a number of biblical references and a number of uh, non-biblical historical documents that validate the fact that John Mark was the secretary to Simon Peter. And much of what we have in the Gospel of Mark uh, was an account, a record of the life of Simon Peter as he walked with Jesus in that firsthand experience. So Mark was not an eyewitness of Jesus. He was, he was just like you and me. He came to know Jesus because someone faithfully shared Jesus with him. Uh, Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey shared Jesus with John Mark. And then he jumped on board and continued on that first missionary journey with them. So most likely this letter that we know as Mark, this gospel that we know as Mark, is a record of Simon Peter's account. As Simon Peter obviously was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, this gospel was first delivered to Christians who were experiencing hard times. Does that ring any bells? I mean, the hard times that they were experiencing were very different from ours. They were being persecuted. They were being, uh, Christians were being uh, persecuted by Nero. Uh, they were being burned, tarred, and set afire to serve as lamps in Nero's garden and thrown to lions and that kind of thing. I mean, uh, they were made sport of. They were living through very difficult, hard times. And so, as we work through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to have an opportunity this year, and my prayer for you is that you will receive the power and the hope and the encouragement that was behind the purpose of John Mark writing down the words of Jesus Christ and recording the episodes in the life of Jesus Christ in this Gospel. And generally speaking... <clears throat> When we write a letter, we spend the first paragraph, which is usually the most important because we introduce why we're sending the letter. And then the last paragraph, we kind of wrap it up. And so the first paragraph and the last paragraph usually are the most important parts of the letter. And so I want you to just dive in with me as we open up this love letter that we know as Mark's Gospel and began to work our way verse by verse through this great love letter from God to you. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals 
I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately, and you might want to make note of the word immediately, because you're going to see that as, as we move rapidly, as we follow uh, Mark's account, he's going to use this word a number of times in the Gospels. You'll note that. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And after John was arrested, Jesus came from Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. And the hearing and the obeying of his word for each of us. So we have six things that I believe this passage causes us to focus on. As we look at this love letter from God in the announcement of the king. So what does the announcement of the king mean? Six things. Number one, the announcement of Jesus brought good news. We see that right out of the chute in Mark 1, chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now that sounds like just an introductory statement, but it has such deep meaning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. Mark's purpose was not to reveal the complete purpose of the gospel. Most likely, and again, I don't want to get bogged down in really a lot of details, but most likely uh, Mark knew Luke. Both were in the same boat. They were not eyewitnesses of Jesus. They both had records. Luke's purpose was to record that detailed record of Jesus. Mark just jumps right in. And he gets to the main point quickly, and he moves quickly toward the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The word gospel literally means good news. And Mark felt like he had such great news that he called it the gospel. He called it the good news. When, when Mark wrote this gospel, he wanted people to be sure to know that it wasn't his good news. It was the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, you never see Mark mentioned at all in this gospel. The focus was not on him. The focus was on Jesus. Wouldn't that be great if that could be the story of your life and my life? Wouldn't that be great if the focus of our life would be on giving glory to Jesus Christ and nothing about us, nothing about ourself. So how would you classify news if someone brought you news that there has been a discovery of a 100% cure to cancer? 
How would you classify that news? Would you classify that news as good news? I think you would. And that's kind of the category, and even that, that's a, an understatement of the news that, that the Gospel of Mark has. Jesus is the good news. Jesus Christ is the good news. Jesus is the high point. He's the pinnacle of the good news. And as we move through this letter this year, we're going to see the focus constantly where it should be on Jesus. And my prayer for your life and my life as we move through 2021 is that the, the focus of our life will be on the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is that God has provided a rescue for all of his creation from the destructiveness of sin. In the first century, when this gospel was written, sin had wrecked the world. Sin had wrecked mankind. And my guess is it hadn't gotten any better to our generation today. And so are your ears open to the good news? Is your heart open to knowing the good news? The audience that Mark was writing to was Greco-Roman. Greeks and Romans worship many gods. And so Mark wanted his readers to know that, that Jesus was the one true Son of God. He described Jesus in verse 2 as the anointed one, Jesus Christ, or verse 1, the anointed one, Christ, the Messiah, the one God had promised to rescue man. And the, the purpose and the focus was rescue man from our sin. He was fully divine. He was the Son of God. He wasn't some made-up kind of mythological God. He was the true Son of God, divine Son of God. You need to know that no Greek or no Roman God would ever humble themselves to become a man. But that's what God did. That's what the true and living God did. He humbled himself, took on the form of a man, became one of us to live among us. Over a year and a half ago, our first grandchildren were born. First of all, our grandson, and then our granddaughter. Our grandson was born in March. Our granddaughter was born in August. I never will forget our son first and then four months later our son-in-law coming out of the room where they had forced Gail and me to wait. They came out and they said, first of all, we got a boy. And then they came out and Ron said, we got a girl. I mean, you're talking about exciting news. That was exciting news. Some of you know how that feels. Okay. And Mark had that kind of intensity about the news that he had to share. It was not only exciting news, it was good news, it was great news, it was the best news, it was the gospel news. And today, that good news that Mark brought to his readers is just as relevant to you and me today as we come face to face with the Jesus of the gospel. You can't come face to face with Jesus and allow him to change your life without experiencing him 
as good news. I trust and pray that you will not go through another moment of another day without knowing that good news. So the announcement brought good news. Secondly, the announcement of Jesus fulfilled prophecy. We see that in verses 2 through 5 as it is written in verse 2. In Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. See, it was important for the gospel to be set in historical context. So in the opening paragraph of Mark's record, he takes quotes from two prophets that everyone who was reading this letter would have probably been familiar with. Um, one is recorded in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 and the other is recorded in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. Malachi was the last prophet in the line of prophets in Israel who up to 400 BC prophesied the good news about God and repentance and coming face to face with God in his judgment. Isaiah lived from 740 or prophesied from 740 down to 700 BC and so Isaiah's prophecy was before the exile Malachi's prophecy was after the exile and more toward the rebuilding of Jerusalem but Isaiah and Malachi both taught repentance and good news that was coming from God and also they proclaimed that there was going to be a forerunner to the Messiah who would come. And so accurately the, the, the promise of God, John the Baptist was saying, has arrived. It's come true. Both Isaiah and Malachi trusted God's promises. Let me ask you today, do you trust God's promises? Do you know his promises? Do you claim his promises to be yes and amen? I mean, there are enough promises in God's word to cover every single day of every single life on planet earth. And they're true. I pray that you know the promise that God gave to send a Messiah into the world, to send a Savior into the world, is true. And I trust that you have received that promise from God and accepted that gift from God. I pray that you know Him and trust His promise to forgive you when you repent of your sin. I talk to people almost every day, especially every week, who feel like they can't serve God because they have messed up in the past. Well, nothing could be farther from the truth. In fact, if you've messed up in the past, welcome to the human race. I mean, that's part of being human. And God wants to use your past experience where you've allowed Him to rescue you when you repent so you can share that story with other people so they can come to know the same Savior that you know. You can prepare the way for others to receive the message of Jesus just like you've received that message from Jesus. When John the Baptist came on the scene, there was an urgency to his message. In verse 3, he says, the Bible says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. There was an urgency to his message. There was emotion behind his message. 
when a message is coming from God and you understand that that message is coming from God, there is a sense of urgency. There is a sense of excitement. It's full of emotion. And that's what Mark wanted us to understand about John the Baptist in the first century when a king would be traveling. They would have servants that would go out and those servants would clear the way for the passage of the king through a particular area. We have something similar to that today called the, 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 the presidential entourage. If you uh, see a president today riding in an automobile, he'll have an entourage. Some of the vehicles will look just alike to, to clear the way for the president to safely travel from one place to another. What about your life today? How are you preparing the way of the Lord with your life? How are you making straight, clearing the paths for the Lord to shine through your life? I trust you'll take this challenge seriously. To prepare means to get ready. It's important for you to prepare for Jesus to shine through your life by clearing your minds and your lives from spiritual debris. It's important for you to prepare the way of the Lord and straighten your life and your moral path so that Jesus can flow through you to other people. Around here we call it making all of life about Jesus. That's not just some slogan that's made up. It can be a reality. You can make all of life about Jesus by making your path clear and by proclaiming the message of Jesus through your life where people will understand it and where people will believe it because of the character of your life. So are you willing today to do whatever's necessary to be used by God to prepare the way for others to see Jesus in you. In verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. John the Baptist was accepted by many as the first prophet of God for 400 years. He was a man of integrity. He was a man of credibility. For 400 years, there had been silence from God to man. And here comes John the Baptist bursting on the scene, proclaiming that the Messiah has come. And people believed him because of his character. People believed him because of his witness. People humbled themselves and repented and received baptism and opened the way for the Messiah to take hold of their lives and use their lives to be a blessing to other people. So the announcement of Jesus brought good news and secondly, the announcement of Jesus fulfilled prophecy. But thirdly, the announcement of Jesus focused on the message, focused on the message. We see that in verses 6 through 8. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals 
I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. So as this first true prophet from God in 400 years burst onto the scene, notice that he was not out to try to impress people about himself. I mean, look at what he wore. His clothes were camel's hair and a leather belt. He wasn't trying to impress anybody by his outward appearance. He ate locusts and wild honey, unlike the religious leaders of this first century. He wasn't out to impress by what he wore. Religious leaders wanted everybody to know who they were, and so they wore special clothes. They ate of the finest of the land, not John the Baptist. His focus was on Jesus. His focus was on Jesus. And I pray that in 2021, that will be the testimony of my life. That will be the testimony of your life. John the Baptist had a focus on people being fully immersed in Jesus. When, when you're fully immersed in Jesus, there's a difference in what goes into your life and there's a difference in what comes out of your life. You're humble. I mean, look at it. He said he was not even worthy to bend down on his knee and untie the, the latch on Jesus' sandal. You're humble. You realize and acknowledge that you're not worthy of God's grace. You receive his mercy knowing that you deserve judgment. And as a consequence, you humbly live as his servant. You want to be like Jesus. What a privilege. What an awesome gift from God to be able to humble ourselves and be like Jesus. In verse 8, John said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What a, what a great concept. Baptized means to be immersed. Imagine your life being fully immersed in the Holy Spirit of God, fully immersed in Jesus, fully immersed in reflecting glory to God the Father. That means that if you're going to be fully immersed in Jesus, the main characteristic of the life of Jesus was His love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believed in Him should not perish but have... I mean, the characteristic, the primary characteristic of the life of Jesus was the love of God in Him and lived out through Him. When you're fully immersed in Jesus, that means you are fully immersed in the love of God. You become a conduit for the love of God to people in your life, to people around your life. The love of God is the characteristic of your life. And when the love of God is the characteristic of your life, the fruit of your life, in other words, what's coming out of your life, is joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I have to ask myself the question, does that define my life? And I trust you'll ask yourself that same question. Is that what's coming out of your life? See, when all of Jesus is coming into your life and you're fully immersed 
You're baptized in the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, happens at the moment you become a believer in Jesus Christ. You're immersed in him. You're baptized in him. Then the fruit of your life is going to reflect the fruit of love, the love of God. I pray that's your attitude today. And I pray that will be the witness of your life today. So what else does the announcement of the king mean? We see in verse 9 through 11 that the announcement of Jesus was validated by God the Father. Validated by God the Father. Verse 9 says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. You know what it feels like when someone close to you, someone who loves you, pats you on the back and says, I'm so pleased in you. I'm so thrilled with the product of your life. I'm so excited about the prospect of your life. I'm well pleased with you. I mean, I love the ending of our Christmas Eve afternoon service this past month when Palmer Sullivan professed his faith in Jesus through believer's baptism. He followed the example of Jesus to please God the Father. Have you taken that step of faith where you have followed Jesus in believer's baptism. See, baptism is a big deal, or Jesus wouldn't have asked John to baptize him. When John baptized Jesus, it didn't wash away his sin because Jesus didn't have any sin. That's not what baptism does. It doesn't wash away your sin. Uh, what baptism does is show that you obediently want to follow Jesus and you're going to be obedient to the command that he has given you to follow him in baptism. Baptism is a validation symbol that you want to be obedient like Jesus. You're declaring that you know Jesus personally. Baptism is a validation symbol that you want to be changed daily to be more and more and more like Jesus. It's a validation symbol that you want to be an obedient follower on mission with Jesus. So have you taken that step and followed Jesus in believer's baptism? He set a great example for us here, and it was important for Mark to begin this gospel declaring that God was well pleased with Jesus when not only at his baptism, but every step of the way through the life of Jesus, he was obedient to God. Oh, how I pray in 2021 that will be the story of your life. How I pray that will be the story of my life. The obedience of Jesus is a theme that's going to run all the way through this gospel of Mark as we work through it this year. But that raises a question for you and me today. Is God well pleased with you? 
And I ask myself the same question. Is God well pleased with me? What that means is that I'm fulfilling my purpose for life. Jesus fulfilled his purpose every step of the way through his life. And you have a purpose too. You know what that purpose is? It's to give glory to God. The way you give glory to God is by knowing him and being obedient to him. That's the example that not only Jesus set, but John the Baptist set. Malachi said, and Isaiah said, it was consistent through people of God, people of faith, that they were in touch with God, in love with God, they knew God, and they obeyed Him. God has you right where He wants you today to use your life and witness and testimony to be a glory to Him. No exceptions. John modeled that it's not what you can get out of your relationship with God that matters, but it's what you can give, and that's glory to God. If you follow the story of John the Baptist, recorded in all four Gospels, according to the standard of this world, his life didn't end so well. He ended up with his head being chopped off. But he knew that life is bigger than this life. And his mission was to give glory to God, and he fully fulfilled that mission. I trust and pray that won't be the story of the ending of your life, but who knows? Who knows? But whatever the ending of the story of your life is, it doesn't matter when you know Jesus and you obey him and you follow him because the victory is going to come forever and ever and ever. John modeled that it's not what you get out of your relationship with God that matters, but the glory you can give God in your experience and in your relationship with Him that truly matters. God wants to use everything about your life to give glory to Him. He wants to use your family relationships to give glory to Him. He wants you to use your educational experiences to give glory to Him. He wants you to use your vocational experiences to give glory to Him. He wants to use your spiritual experiences to give glory to Him. He wants to use your ministry experiences to give glory to Him. And ultimately, God wants to use your painful experiences. Maybe that's the best way God can use you to give glory to Him. When you walk with Him through the pain, my prayer for you this year is that you will hear the words of God when you stand before Him one day, and you will. You'll stand before God one day. And my prayer for you is that you will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. That's what God said to Jesus at the baptism in the Jordan River with John. I'm pleased, I'm well pleased with you. And so the announcement of Jesus was validated by God the Father. Fifthly, the announcement of Jesus revealed God's resources. Now this is where the action plan comes in for you and me today. Verse 12 says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. 
And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. No one is above temptation. I often have people say to me, how can I be a believer? I'm just tempted so much. Well, it could well be that the fact that you're tempted so much is the fact that you are a believer. Because Satan's not going to mess with people who are not believers. He doesn't need to. He's already got them. If you're a believer, though, he knows he can't get your soul salvation. But what he wants to get is your witness. He wants to get your testimony. The Bible says here that Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. What had Jesus just come away from? Jesus had just come away from the highest spiritual moment of his life so far. He had just come up out of the baptism waters. He was celebrating victory of hearing God say, I am well pleased with you. But then immediately, Mark records, Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. So from the high point of his spiritual life, he immediately was thrust into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. When God drove Jesus into the wilderness and Jesus was tempted by Satan, maybe the biggest temptation from Jesus was to run away from the wilderness, to get out of the wilderness, to get to a safe place. But he didn't do that. Mark summarizes the details of this event by simply stating that God provided all the resources Jesus needed to overcome temptation. And God has provided the same thing for you and me. You might want to write down 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 and read it in its context today. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, I don't know what your greatest area of temptation is. You probably do know that. But whatever your greatest area of temptation is, it might be sexually, it might be relationally, it might be having uh, idols that take priority over, over God. It might be drugs or alcohol. I don't know what your temptation area is, your greatest temptation. But I do know this, whatever that area of temptation is, God has provided a way for you to escape that temptation. And he's given resources for you, just like he did for Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 record the great details about this episode that, that Mark just introduces to us uh, kind of as a statement. Every time Satan tempted Jesus, what did he do? He quoted God's word as an answer to that temptation. God has given you his word to be a great defense, a true defense against any temptation that could come upon you. 
You know, temptation is kind of like being in the wilderness with wild animals. In Palestine, where Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, wild boars and jackals and wolves and foxes and leopards and hyenas, all these wild animals existed out there. The 40 days experience that Jesus had was no picnic. You may feel like you're in the wilderness right now. You may feel like God's Spirit has driven you into an area of a wilderness. But understand, God has every resource that you need that He's provided for you to overcome any temptation that might come your way. God's plan was for Jesus to trust His resources, and Jesus did that. His Word, prayer, having other believers to come around your life and to be accountability partners in your life, other believers. Taking advantage of the opportunity to share your testimony, to share your witness of how Jesus has saved your life can be one of the greatest resources that God gives you to overcome temptation because you don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't want to tell people to do one thing and you do another thing. And so when you're sharing Jesus with them, what a great resource to overcome temptation. My point is God has provided every single resource for you to trust him. He provided angels to minister to Jesus. He'll provide whatever you need if you'll put your trust and faith truly in him. Now here's what Jesus taught us. As a believer, you won't always feel good in following Jesus and being tempted. There'll be times in your life of deprivation. There'll be times in your life of loneliness. There'll be times in your life where you come up against hostile enemies. But understand, Jesus taught us that God has a resource for every temptation God has an opportunity prepared for us so we can overcome every temptation that comes our way. So when you truly put your faith and trust in God, the battle is the Lord's. Trust His resources. The victory is in utilizing His resources for you and me. So finally, let's wrap it up. What? What finally does the announcement of the king mean? And this is going to just kind of launch us into the rest of the book of Mark. But number six, the announcement from Jesus called for repentance. Call for repentance. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. See, that was the introductory message that John the Baptist brought about Jesus coming into the world and being the Messiah that God had promised. And it was the same message that Jesus launched his public ministry. Repent and believe in the gospel. See, becoming a follower of Jesus means turning away from your sin, turning away from your old way of life, turning away from you being in control of your life, and turning totally to letting Jesus be in control of your life. 
Letting Him forgive you of your sins. Letting Him be the, the power behind every day of your life. So my question to you today is, have you repented? And are you believing in the gospel? The good news, the gospel, means that Jesus, the promised Messiah, has come to usher in that new age of God, and it's here. It's among His people today. And we have the opportunity to live, drawing from the source and strength and power of that new age that God has brought into this world. This journey that we're going to be on through Mark this year is going to take everyone who is willing to follow into a journey with Jesus that is going to blow our minds. It's going to be unreal. It's going to be awesome. So let me just wrap it up today with two questions, two big questions. Question number one is, what is God saying? What does He want me to know? What does God want me to know? Well, I hope you've heard this morning that you need to know you need a Savior because you're a sinner. And the only reason Jesus came into this world was because of you and others like you and me. So have you admitted that you're a sinner? And God wants me to know that Jesus is the Savior. He came to rescue us from the power as well as the penalty of our sin. So Jesus is the Savior for all who will repent and believe and follow Him. Is that you? If it's not you, it can be you right now because the second question is this. What does God want me to do? What's God want me to do? He wants me to believe. Have you done that? He wants me to repent. That means turn away from my sin and turn to Him. That means turn away from my old way of life and turn to a new way of life in Him. But then here's the exciting part. He wants us to be on journey with Him and follow Him. He wants to use your life to reflect His life to those who are experiencing desperate life. And I trust that you'll be willing to jump on board with that this year. See, receiving and sharing the gospel will do three things. Number one, it'll bring encouragement to struggling souls. Number two, it will bring light into dark lives. And number three, it will bring hope into our hopeless world. And no one is more important than you to giving glory to God through your life in 2021. So this is a new year of promise. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. No one can do this for you. Only you can allow God to do it in you and through you. So join me in trusting Him today. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that we can worship you today 
knowing that you have done what you promised to do. You fulfilled every promise that you made. And God, I thank you today that the one promise that you made that we can celebrate about today and yet anxiously look forward to not only anticipating but being a part of, and that is watching for your return. And while watching, let you work through us to make sure that everybody in our family, everybody in our neighborhood, everybody in our circle of friends, and ultimately everyone in our country and around the world at least has an opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God, we close today by celebrating together and singing from the bottom of our heart, even so come, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, we continue to worship. Amen.